and welcome to this week's Texan Overtime. Uh, I'm JT Lindsay. I'm one of the audio editors here at the Texan. As always, I'm joined by sports editor Ross Burkhart. What's going on, guys? Uh, and we're also this week joined by our men's and women's basketball beat writers. We've got our college football maction snow miser, heat miser, Ash Wednesday expert Steve Helwick here. <laughs> uh, and we're also joined by uh, the much less prolific, but we still love him, Donovan Smooth. Uh, a little later, we'll be hearing from our fact checker uh, who pulls double duty for me and for Ross. That's Clark Dalton. He's a women's tennis beat writer, but more importantly, he works for me because uh, I'm in the cool department. Oof. But uh, we're going to go ahead and get it started. Uh, just like at the start of every overtime, whether it's the podcast or in sports, there is a coin flip. Uh, this week, very prominently, Bryce Harper signed a 13-year Three hundred million or three hundred thirty million dollar contract yeah. with the Philadelphia Phillies, with no opt outs, uh, which was really notable because most baseball players and most of those contracts, at least even after year like ten, will have an option to void the rest of the contract and go into free agency. Is there some kind of like trade waiver, like no trade clause? Yeah, he's got a full no trade clause, uh, but it's he's got the he's got the highest total value uh, of a contract in American sports history. Yeah. But uh, he, he's, like, not even in the top 15 in average annual value. Uh, Steve could probably can correct me on some of this. He's wearing a Penn State sweatshirt. What? Uh, what, what? Okay. <laughs> Philadelphia, <laughs> Pennsylvania, my friend. Uh, Penn State, that's in the exact center of Pennsylvania. There's actually an obelisk on campus that marks the exact. So Pittsburgh's on one end, Philadelphia's on the one end, and it's just a sandwich in between. Well, State College uh, is the center. That's interesting. <laughs> but let me get to my question. I forgot we were doing a question. Uh, so uh, with the coin flip, it's always 50-50. So here's my question. You have to stay for 13 years. You don't get to move. You have to stay in the same house. You have to stay in the same everything. Would you rather spend 13 full years in Tyler, Texas? Ooh. <laughs> or Tulsa, Oklahoma? This is actually a, a good argument. Um, this is something that we talked about through every small Texas town that we passed on the way to the Sugar Bowl. And we were like, okay, for. We're like, what amount of money would it take for you to spend a whole summer here? But you can't leave, and you don't have your phone or anything. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't think anybody's going to be paid $330 million to sports, right? But Right. Um, I'll pick Tulsa, because you can do something. <laughs> like, they have some things there. All right. I don't know anything about Tyler. I've just driven through it. But it seems a lot less exciting than Tulsa, which I will say is very, very not exciting in itself. Yeah, well, I, the reason I mentioned Tyler is because last year's women's basketball beat writer, Drew King, yeah. is from Tyler. But Donovan, what do you think? I'm going to go with Tyler just because I hate the state of Oklahoma <laughs> so much. Like, that, that state is terrible, and so I'd rather stay in Texas. I'm just looking up Tyler right now. I've never been there. It looks like it's about 90 minutes outside of Dallas area, and that's pretty good. I mean, I'm always down to just travel a little, and I know Texas has a lot in it. 
I mean, Dallas itself has four professional sports teams. There's TCU, SMU, all in the area. There's a Six Flags there, so I think I'm going to go to. <laughs> if there's a Tyler. Six Flags within a, a, a 300 mile radius, Steve will pick. Does that Oklahoma one. have any Six Flags? No, I they know. have zero flags. I didn't zero mention flags. Texas has 12 flags. 12 they flags. have one in San Antonio and one in Arlington. Steve That's is right. actually was a double major before he graduated. He's still taking classes. He's a double major in actuarial sciences and just going to Six Flags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he I picked up like 60 credit hours just. <laughs> in the summer <laughs> exactly that means that you go 10 times yeah i i went 18 i got a lot of studying done on that he's rattler. A, don't, don't short change me guys <laughs> it was 18 uh oh man he's our six flags expert he's our pitbull expert he's, our... he's keeping them in business by himself uh no season I, pass i don't spend anything more i go for free <laughs> All right, now we're going to talk about Steve's Beat. Uh, and by that, we're not talking about Six Flags. We're not talking about Ash Wednesday. We're not talking about Snow Miser and Heat Miser. We're talking men's basketball for finally uh, getting to something that seems relevant to our listeners. Uh, but uh, not a good week for the Texas Longhorns men's basketball team. Uh, they headed up to Lubbock, played the Red Raiders. Uh what was the final score? I saw they were down by like 15, and I stopped watching. It was 70 to 51. Jeez. So they lost 19 by 19 uh, in mm. Lubbock. The Red Raider squad is strong, but at the same time, this is crunch time for the Longhorns. Lowest scoring output of the season, largest uh, deficit that they yeah. had in a margin of defeat. It's a low point for the team at a time where they can't really afford any more low points. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about what, what that, that game means, especially given there's not a lot of time before to make their case to the selection committee. Well, it looks like they're going to enter that Big 12 tournament as a sixth seed, which means that they'll have at fewest just two games left before all the tournament decisions are made, and that's against TCU on Saturday. And the team's been playing well at home. I don't think anyone expected Texas to go into Lubbock and beat the number eight team, the team that's probably going to break Kansas's Big 12 regular season title streak. I mean, they lost by 19 to a very good team, one of the best home teams in the country. But Texas is also a very solid team at home. Their latest results at home were beating Iowa State by 17, beating Oklahoma State by 12. They did have the Kansas State loss, but the games before that were beating Baylor, Kansas, and Oklahoma, and two of those games by double digits. So this is a team that's very confident, very strong in the Frank Irwin Center, and they have a perfect opportunity to close it out on Saturday against TCU. Also, they're playing without Kerwin Roach still. No timetable for his return as he's suspended from the university. I think he's supposed to be back for the Big 12. It is senior senior day. I wonder if they'll honor him in any fashion on senior day. That's but, an interesting question. But, but I th- did, did you see that he was supposed to come back for the Big 12 tournament? Mm-hmm. I think that's when he's returning. But the team has learned how to play without him, and several people have stepped up. Elijah Mitru Long, he's been playing very well lately. He's a hustle player. Shaka Smart called him the spirit, the juice, the energy of the team where he comes off that bench, brings good hustle on defense, good at guarding the perimeter. He's one of those guys that'll just die for the loose balls and make all the extra plays. And then Jace Febris. Now, Febris was really bad against Texas Tech. But in the games before that, he was on fire from three-point range. And if Febris can get going, this Texas team's deadly because he's a remarkable shooter. He's just a little inconsistent. I mean, anyone who can put up an 8 of 10 performance from beyond the three-point arc, that's just insane, especially at the collegiate level. So Jace Febris' improvement has really helped this team surge into March. 
And right now they're ranked 26 in a metric called Ken Palm that a lot of college basketball analysts like to use. So it seems like they're a lock for the tournament, even though they could go 16 and 16 if they lose to TCU and if they lose their Big 12 tournament game, which will likely be pitted against Kansas in a three versus six seed matchup. Looking at the Big 12 as a whole, I mean, they could have like an unprecedented eight out of 10 teams in the in the NCAA tournament, which hasn't been done by any conference with 10 teams before. Looking at the conference as a whole, who sticks out to you, um, you know, besides the, the Texas Tech, the, uh, the Kansas States, somebody in that middle of the pack, I mean, I don't know, maybe four to six or so, or even further down if you think that could, you know, make a, a sweet 16, like maybe even an Elite Eight run. Last year, it was Kansas State. Yeah. Nobody saw that coming. No. Kansas State was just a nine seed. They had the UMBC luck, but then they showed that they belonged by beating a good Kentucky team and getting there to the Elite Eight. I think I'm going to go with Baylor. Baylor started the season with a bad loss to Texas Southern in non-conference, but they seemed to get better over time as the season progressed, and they had that streak of six straight Big 12 wins and lately they've been playing pretty well too. They did lose to Kansas State recently on the road, but that comeback against Texas really showed how strong this Baylor team is in the wake of adversity. I could see them as maybe, they're probably anywhere from a 7 to a 10 seed. I'm going to say an 8 seed, and that could be a scary matchup for some 1 seeds, like Virginia, who doesn't typically do well in the tournament. I mean, I guess that's the 1 seed you want to draw. I I could see Baylor upsetting a Virginia or a Gonzaga and Mm -hmm. making a Sweet 16 run. That'd be big for them. Mm -hmm. Looking at um, some of the projections I know that you've been looking at bracketology the last few days is uh, I've seen Texas pitted against Syracuse at times against UCF, mm-hmm. um, which I know Steve would <laughs> love to go cover that game. Um, looking at some of their potential opponents, um, wh- how do you think Texas matches up um, against some of those other teams? And, and who do you think that they would want to play most out of the teams that you've seen them? We all know, because the players stress it, Shaka Smart stresses it all the time, Texas can compete with any team in the nation, and that's true. North Carolina's a two-seed right now. Mm -hmm. Purdue's up there. Kansas, although they're slipping a little bit, they're still a good team. And Texas has beaten every Big 12 team this year, except for Texas Tech and TCU, who they'll get another opportunity to face. So they can beat anyone. Uh, what matchup do they want? Well, they're not going to get a Big 12 team, and there are right. a lot of Big 12 teams in that 8-9 range. So I think a matchup where the, where Jackson Hayes can be the best player in the paint, I mean, UCF's a little tough because they have 7-6 Taco Fall in there, <laughs> and I don't know if Texas wants to be dealing with that. Oh my Syracuse, God. though, I, Syracuse could be an interesting matchup for Texas. I know Syracuse is a team that beat Duke earlier this year, but the Orange, they've been awfully inconsistent, too. I mean, they'll lose games by double digits. They're basically the Texas of the ACC with a slightly better record. But I think that could be a very winnable game for Texas, mm-hmm. and it could be just a win that propels a team's confidence into the next round. So I think a matchup like that will be good. Other teams in that range, the 8-9 range, VCU, Texas already saw them this year and lost at home. Florida, Iowa, Washington, all decent teams with flaws. Mm -hmm. They're all basically the same team as Texas. Yeah. So the Big 12 king, as they were known for over a decade now, has fallen in Kansas 
they haven't lost at home still. You know, they've had uh, a big, big injury to their squad, which has hurt them at times. Um, what kind of noise do you see them making getting into March? I mean, because we always know this program as one that's going to be a top four lock every single season. And I mean, it's been very rare since 08 that we've really seen them make that consistent deep run. It seems like they're not living up to expectations most of the time in March. So now that they might not even have all of that pressure on them, how do you expect them to fare? The the Jayhawks, they've been a one or two seed every single year since, I don't know, like this decade since almost. I can remember. And this year they're going to be probably a four seed, I think. Yeah. They lost again against Oklahoma last night. They were already slipping. But what Kansas needs is a week one seed. You don't want Duke or Kentucky to be the one seed in the bracket. The Jayhawks, they're, they're a good team with a good coach and Bill Self, but they're not a great team this year. They don't have the players that they typically have that can carry them to a run, like Frank Mason, who's now on the Sacramento Kings. They don't have a Frank Mason. They don't have uh, any of the guys that they've had in some of those tournament runs to propel them there, some veterans, because... With Wiggins and Embiid, they did nothing. Kansas needs good veterans that'll help them. And LeGerald Vick has kind of fallen off a little this year. So the Jayhawks, they usually underwhelm. You said other than 08 and 12 where they made the championship. Last year was really their first year where they reached expectations by playing up to their seed and not losing to a team wearing a colored uniform. But this year, I think they're just going to go to the Sweet 16 and just dive out to a one seed. That they're too inconsistent to win like four games in a row. All right, so we're going to go ahead and get started talking about the much more successful but still in kind of a downturn uh, team here at uh, on the 40 Acres, and that's the women's basketball team. Uh, you know, Donovan, this team's looked pretty good all season, but definitely has faltered recently, lost to Bad losses to Baylor, which, I mean, that team's just fantastic. You know, you're not necessarily going to – they recently – they lost a couple games ago to Baylor, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they got they got swept this season by Baylor. Yeah. So, bad loss to Baylor, bad loss to Iowa State, uh, 82-73. Uh, they did follow it up with a win, 62-48 against TCU, but they're ranked 21. They're probably going to drop out of the top 25. What's going on with that team, you know, now at the end of the regular season? The um, the issue with them is is kind of um, they're they're very inconsistent, right? And so, and Coach Aston, she's talked about this basically every every post game where they lose. Um, she just talks about the fact that they don't have um, they don't have the grit every single game, and they don't have the mentality to where they come out and they start games fast, or if they have a lead, right? If they do start fast and they get a lead, then they're not able to, as, as she likes to say, uh, stick the knife in, in, in the opponent and, and close the game out, right? And so she talked, she talked after, the, um, after the Iowa State game, and, and she said that, that they don't have good practice habits. And so, that's, and so at this point in the season, that's very concerning for a team, especially for a team with a coach of this, of this stature and a program of, of this stature to not, to not have um, good practice habits because that's just that at that point it's a reflection on 
on the leadership, whether it's from your coaches or from your or from your top players. And so that's one of the biggest issues that they have so far this season. So going back to Tuesday's win over TCU, we yeah. saw them with, you know, an impressive uh, victory right there. That's how you really want to close out the season after a couple of big losses to Baylor and Iowa State there. So looking ahead, um, they have since released the uh, the Big 12 tournament bracket, and Texas is once again going to face TCU. How much do you think that's going to benefit this team, uh, you know, coming off this, this fresh game of just having seen them just, I mean, not even a week yeah. earlier, especially on the road? Yeah, I, it's, it's going to benefit them a lot because, you know, anytime that you can play somebody – uh, multiple times, you know, you can just get uh, more and more accustomed to the things that they run and, mm-hmm. you know, the spots and the areas on the floor and of the floor that they like to get to. Um, it's it's very helpful considering they won the game by 14, but up until the fourth quarter, the game was still the game was still close. Mm-hmm. They were tied 31-31 at halftime. Texas got a little bit of an edge in the third quarter. They went up by um, by four points, and then. And uh, TCU, they just didn't come out in the fourth quarter, and they weren't able to sustain everything that they were doing. And so they ended up losing by 14. But the game was a lot closer than what it was. And in the first matchup that they had, um, it was it was a six-point game. And so TCU plays Texas very, very well. And so I think for Texas, um, knowing that, that, one, they could go on the road and beat TCU, who's played them tough twice, and... And knowing that in in less than a week they're gonna come out and they're gonna play this team again, I think it's it's um, I think it's a confidence boost considering that they had their their first you know losing streak. This like their losses to Baylor and Iowa State were the first back to back losses that they've had since December when they lost to Mississippi State and Tennessee um, in back to back weeks. And so for since December to now they they've been. They've been um, treading water a, a little bit, and so they haven't really struggled to the degree that they are right now. But the TCU win kind of gives them a little bit of momentum going into Saturday, gives them a little bit of a confidence boost just to say, okay, if we actually come out and do the things that, that we know we can do, we can come out with wins on the other side of it. So the most recent news that we've got out of Austin is that uh, that point guard Shug Sutton was announced on the uh, the Big Twelve first team yeah. today, um, and of course um, you haven't talked to to Shug since that announcement because the availability is happening on Thursday and we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, but I mean, it seems like all season long with these injuries, like she has really stepped up. She has been the unquestioned leader, and it, it almost seems like, in a sense, that. Um, despite all the, the role players that they've had at different times, like she's going to be the one that's going to take them as far as they can go. What do you expect um, from her, from what you've seen in some of their bigger games? Like, how do you think that she's going to be able to step up and carry this team whenever these, you know, big games start yeah. coming around? Uh, I, I think Shug is, is going to do what Shug does, right. right? Just by the nature of the way, that the offense is orchestrated. The ball's the ball's in her hands, the entire game, and she plays basically the entire game, right? Ever since ever since Lashawn went down and Chastity transferred, she's been playing anywhere from thirty five to forty minutes a night, right? So she's not getting any breaks. the The one thing that I will say about Shug is that these last two games against Iowa State and against TCU, 
she has looked very, very aggressive on the offensive end, looking for her shot. And that hasn't been something that that I've seen um, throughout the season. I think that she's been, whenever she attacks the basket, she's looking to create for somebody else. And so, and so with that, she's not putting every single um, every single drop of pressure that she can on, on the defense. These last two games, she's been she's been attacking with with the uh, with the mindset. Okay, listen. Once once I attack, we're gonna put this pressure on, on the defense. And then we're going to see what the best option is, whether it's whether it's for her to pull up and take and take her um, her signature mid range jumper, or whether it's uh, the best thing for her to to drive and kick to a shooter out out on the perimeter. So Suge's aggressiveness over these last two games is something that um, that I think Texas actually really really needs because their other guard Danny Williams, who's been playing the same amount of minutes as yeah. as Suge. As great as as great of a shooter as she is, she's been very inconsistent. Danny went one for nine against TCU, right? And so these are things. And but the game before, Danny had a, Danny had a good game. Danny, uh, this this season, she started off very rough, right? Which was kind of expected because it's a new situation for her. She's a grad transfer. From, from Texas A&M, of all places. Yeah, I mean, right? you're thrown into that situation, a completely new team. Yeah, complete, completely new team she got here in, in July, right? And so you have like a month or a month and a half to start acclimating yourself to, um, to this team. And so when she started playing, it was very rough, and that was very expected. Now, now we're at the end of the season, and she still has – her her high end scoring nights are better than what they were, but her lows are still very very low, which is a problem because if she's not on, then then that puts so much pressure on everybody else to to step up and to go into roles that they're not comfortable with, because a lot of a lot of these players out really outside of Suge, nobody else is able to put the ball on the floor and create, and so if Suge is the main one that that has to shoulder that load, it's a lot for her. Right. And mm-hmm. so and so back going back to your to your question, I think Suge is going to be um, I think Suge is going to step up. I think she's going to show up and and uh, and show out and do the things that she's been that she's been doing over the last week or so and, and really driving this team to uh, to the victories. So I've been looking at the, the bracketology for the women's mm-hmm. uh, team coming up, of course, looking at where you guys might be headed over the break. Um, but something that we talked about with Steve, I think it would be interesting to flip that and, and say on the women's side, who are some of the teams that you expect minus Texas in this Big 12 to you know, potentially make some noise uh, come tournament time? You've got teams uh, like uh, as low as the five seed in the Big 12 tournament, Kansas State. Mm-hmm. You've, got, uh, you've got TCU also in the mix right now. And Texas is looking anywhere from, I mean, maybe like a six seed, maybe a seven seed. There's a lot of different... Uh, ranking shakeup. I don't think I, I don't think they've even released anything since um, before the TCU game. But looking ahead to some of those other teams, what do you expect from those guys? Well, you know, I, obviously, um, I expect Baylor to have a deep run. Of course, you know, n- number one team in the country. Yeah, I expect them. I mean, virtually, it's that's what's that's what's good about picking one of the women's brackets is, yeah. is you, you, you can rely on those number one seeds. Yep. It seems like Usu- a lot more. Usually, usually in women's college basketball, chalk isn't, isn't a, it's not a bad choice. No, never. Um, I think, I think Baylor can, 
can obviously do some things. I think Iowa State, you know, I, Iowa State going into the matchup, uh, Texas Texas was was twenty one. Iowa State mm-hmm. was was twenty. They're right there. Right, they're right. They're right there. And and, and the, the first game was close too, a two point win. Exactly. And they both still went on the road. Exactly. So I think Iowa State has uh, has has a lot of firepower because especially in in that game against against Texas, you know, Iowa State shoots shoots around thirty six percent from three uh, on, on the season. They came out and they lit Texas up from the outside, and it was unreal to watch them to watch them shoot the basketball. So if Iowa State can get going from the three point line, it's hard. It, it's going to be very hard to no- to knock them out because they have they have players as well. They have uh, uh, Br- um, Bridget Carlton, mm-hmm. who was named who was named Big Twelve uh, Player of the, of the Year. Right, and so. When when the players like that is on Iowa State and they're not coming from Baylor, they're not coming from the top team in the nation, right? As dominant as Kalani Brown is, you look at Iowa State and they have the Big Twelve Player of the Year. They have they have the firepower, they have the length to go and make a run, and and so then after that you get into you know West Virginia. West Virginia has some has some very talented players on their side, and then you get to then you get to uh, to Texas, right? And then that, and that's where it starts to get cloudy. Texas is, Texas is talented enough, at, um, to get, to get to the Sweet Sixteen, right? Their problem is, are they going to be disciplined enough, and focused enough to get to the Sweet Sixteen? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch about this team moving forward. Something that you you brought up about Iowa State. I mean, it is. It seems like in every sport that we've come to know Iowa State as like. This sneaky team that's kind of just sitting right back, like mm-hmm. waiting for their time, and then they pounce whenever they're ready to go. And, and I mean, in looking at the the most recent bracketology update, I mean, it's got Iowa State as a four seed, um, and they would be playing in Ames. I mean, if they're playing in the Albany region, that would be huge for them to get a, get off to a good start like that in the first couple games. So, I mean, I, I think you're completely valid in saying that Iowa State has a really good chance at at doing something that really nobody's expecting because you know what you're going to get with Baylor. Yeah. You know you're what you're going to get with those one seeds, one, two seeds. But I think Iowa State is a four seed. If there's something like that low, it's pretty sneaky. Yeah, that's, they're, they're going to be real dangerous because if you, look around, if you look around at the one seeds, the one seeds right now are, um, and these are all projections. Right. Um, you have UConn, you have Baylor, uh, Notre Dame, and Louisville. Mm-hmm. And those 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 four teams are, are powerhouses. Those are the familiar faces, right? And so and but you're still gonna have teams, you know, um, like Oregon, like Mississippi State. Um, you're still gonna have teams like that who can who can make a run. But I really think, especially after seeing after seeing them up close and in person, this Iowa State team has the ability to be very very dangerous. And and in in tournament play, when it's one and done, when you're only playing, you know, one game. If you can find a way to get hot, you're going to put a lot of pressure on, on the opponent and you have a very good chance at, at coming out with the win. All right, as we do every week, uh, we, we give our silent but deadly friend here, Clark Dalton. Uh, and let me say, let me make sure everybody knows I am talking about farts too. Uh, Clark Dalton here is going to give us a fun fact. He's our fact checker. Uh, first, did we miss anything? Uh, screw anything up? I'm sure I might have. Nope. 
All right, I'm perfect. Perfect. No um, errors or omissions. I, I think he's just not paying attention. I, I think that's probably right, too, <laughs> but it's fine. But, uh, Clark, what you got for us? You got a fun fact for us this week? The first patented version of tennis, lawn tennis specifically, was given the name Schwerstyke. Yes, I'll repeat that again. Schwerstyke. What does that mean? Playing ball in Greek. Like, like literally, that's, that's what literally it means. its translation in wow. Greek. They wasted no time. Yeah. They gave no effort to that. And for as a nickname, they often called it Sticky because it was oh. easier. So tennis at one point was called Sticky. I think tennis is stuck a little bit better. Yeah, over I don't time. think. Oh man, uh, I'm, hi, I'm Roger Federer. I'm a Sticky champion, number one Sticky player in the world. <laughs> yeah, I think I think actually we have to put an explicit tag on this episode for saying the word Sticky so much. Yeah, I think that's one of like the the eight words that you can't say on the radio. Yeah, is, is Sticky. That's what yeah. they say, right? It's like. Bleep, 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 and sticky. And we just did that. So You guys may not hear from us next week. We just lost our license. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but I think that's... Uh, thank you for that fact. Uh, but you know what? Uh, we have stickied around a little too long this week. Uh, that's all we've got uh, for this week. Uh, let me plug a couple of different things. So make sure and follow at Texan Sports on Twitter so that you can keep up with everything uh, that Donovan and Steve are writing as well as... You know, all the stuff that Clark and Ross are putting out as well. Uh, follow at Texan Audio so you can get uh, the latest podcast from us. We've got a couple of cool projects um, bumping around. You guys can check it out. And I want to leave you with one thought, and that's uh, hug a loved one. <laughs> <laughs>